Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome into another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlin. I'm joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. My internet connection is unstable, but we're going to power through. Jack, how are you? I think my internet connection is a little bit unstable too, but if it's a Wednesday night at 8.13 p.m. On a, on a Wednesday, like I just said, and the internet connection is unstable, I think we can I think we can make it through. We just have to get through some football, and then we can just talk about um, the pure elation we felt walking into the Atlantic Union Bank Center last night. Um, so first, football will be quick. The CAA is trying to erase JMU from all parts of history, and we will not stand for it. Yeah, Chris Thornton caught four touchdown passes against Campbell, and he was not given CAA Offensive Player of the Week honors or even like a co-honor. Four reception touchdowns is absurd. I went, I couldn't, there's no good FCS database, but I uh, had right. seen, I <laughs> had gone through and looked at the FBS stats and since the start of the 2020 season, which is last season, I think it was only eight FBS players had caught four touchdowns in a single game. And like two of those guys were Kyle Pitts and Devonta Smith. Like, it's just really hard to catch four touchdowns in a game. Yeah, Chris Thornton's pretty good, and uh, he's taking a lot of the pressure off of Antoine Wells, and that receiving duo paired with the efficiency of Cole Johnson. Um, I think this offense is, is pretty solid, pretty good. They've kind of found their footing as of late. But it's just insane that it's not even a co-offensive player. I think you were saying Carl Mofer, the running back from Alabama, Albany. <laughs> I don't even know how I got that. <laughs> all right i'm sorry about that one carl mofer the running back from albany he had 45 carries averaging some four yards per carry of course he's gonna have good numbers like what 45 carries is a lot that was like a volume thing i know three games at jmu yeah (laughs) i know that uh thornton was going up against not great competition but eight catches 142 yards and four touchdowns like feels like a pretty obvious player of the week performance <laughs> so yeah they're <laughs> the conference has kind of gone scorched earth they have locked in as of a couple hours ago um that they will you know not let jmu's uh teams compete in postseason or not postseason but ca tournaments this year uh so disappointing news they are not a much of a surprise um but still really sucks for the current athletes that will miss out on some opportunities yeah, and a lot of shadiness kind of came out of Shane Metlin reported a lot of stuff and it seemed like the presidents were a little shady in the way they treated the student athletes at the same time. We don't have the full story. We don't have necessarily the CAA and the CAA president's side because they would either give Joey D would either give very vague statements or the presidents just can't be reached for statement. Um, so we only have what's being reported from the student athlete side and what's being reported from the student athlete side makes the CA look absolutely terrible. I mean, they lied to the student athletes kind of in a show of student athletes were like, we'll stop being rude to you guys. Um, if you, if you accept that you're actually going to listen to us and the CA was like, okay, give us a couple hours. And that couple hours just so happened to coincide with JMU tipping off their women's basketball game and not showing anything during the game. And, a lot of interesting timing. And uh, the CA then came back and said, um, there was no meeting. That's confidential. And it was all just a very, very weird situation. I think men's soccer starts Thursday. I want to say that's the one that starts up really fast. 
So it had to be done. If they were going to reverse the decision, they had to do it really fast. So then to say that we're going to have a meeting and then stall on the meeting and kind of ghost the student athletes and then get to a point where it would would have been impossible to actually have logistics work, pretty comical, right? Like they just sort of stalled and ghosted them and screwed them over a little bit. So that was really stupid and embarrassing. And uh, the UNCW, I think it was like the, I should probably get who it was on here, but some admin for UNCW um, spoke with press in that area and kind of of went after JMU in a way that, um, um, honestly, I liked more than just like the weird cowardly stuff. But they went out and they're like, yeah, JMU is trying to like leave, which is a better situation for it. And also still get to be in our championships. And we don't believe in that. We don't like that. Um, I thought that was a little bit iffy, but kind of understand why they, at least they went out and said it, I guess. Right. So UNCW did go on the record and and have some people talk and kind of go out against JMU. Um, At least from what I've seen, it's the first school to actually come out and talk. Yeah. I think everyone's just kind of hiding behind Joey D, which, Probably isn't the best person to hide behind. I don't know if you want to talk more about CAA just being an absolutely terrible organization. You want to talk a little bit about, a little bit more about what you saw in Campbell first time you were able to watch them live. Uh, I'll let you take the wheel and uh, steer us where you want to take the next couple of minutes. We'll go football. We'll go back football. I think could we have you know we have the whole pod about the CAA and I feel like we kind of feel the same way. Uh, still kind of disappointed. One thing that I do think is interesting. Um, is like the this is just an inside baseball thing that I think is interesting. Most people probably don't, but like the fine line with like the UNCW report where uh, the guy who wrote that story then also was tweeting like some opinions about CA bylaws, and the same with Shane, where Shane Metlin is um, reporting news and also writing columns just because local news staffs are so small. It's kind of a, a fine line to walk and very interesting to see them kind of do it. So I've enjoyed watching them kind of do it. Shane has written some really good columns. So it's kind of cool that they are letting him write columns, but at the same time, I understand the fans from opposing schools that are maybe critiquing him a bit um, since he has news reports and columns. But anyway, I just found that interesting from a journalism view. Um, but I don't think anyone wants us to go down that rabbit hole for a long period of time. Talk about the ethics and um, <laughs> the real inside baseball of journalism at, at small staff newspapers around the country. Let's just dedicate the next 45 minutes to newsrooms that have two sports reporters for 15, 15 teams. Let's go. I just found it truly fascinating how they, how they balance that and how it's, I don't know, it's hard to remove any bias from coverage. I will say that from different sides, right? Even the JMU side, probably worth if you're reading something to take it with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, not that they're doing a bad job of their reporting or anything, but it's, it's really hard to do both of those jobs, columnist and, and be reporter and not let opinions get into some of that. So um, as far as the Campbell game, yes, you going from you gear four to gear one real quick. You mentioned that it was the first one I had watched live this year. I did. This game sucked. Like this game was so boring. Like that I was my there was a point in this game where it was midway through the third quarter and I was sitting there wishing the game was over. Like it was horrible. <laughs> like <laughs> Jamie played really well. They executed really well. Like defense looked good. Uh, Campbell, I thought Campbell had a nice quarterback and receiver duo, which a lot of people have also already said, um, which is fair. Their quarterback was like mobile and made some really nice plays. Uh, JMU, I don't think he expected him to actually play. He had been banged up, but had a really nice game. Um, so I thought he tested them a little bit, but like Cole Johnson torched them. He averaged like 20 plus yards of completion. 
Billy Atkins came in, was five for five for 27 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Cole Johnson had five total touchdowns, didn't throw an interception. We mentioned what Chris Thornton did. Like they just had a really good game, but the whole time I'm just thinking about how I'm excited for the Sun Belt because, and I know this is a non-conference game, but my God, this matchup just sucked. Well, yeah, I mean, in Sun Belt, the non-conference games in theory are going to be a whole hell of a lot better than Campbell. Yeah, <laughs> I hope so. I mean, if they're getting non-conference games against Campbell <laughs> when they're FBS, if they're getting non-conference games against UConn or UMass when they're FBS, I'm going to be a little upset. But to build off of that, then Latrell Palmer, he finally had a good game, five yards off of the pace of 100 yards. He had 14 attempts, averaging over six yards, nearly seven yards per carry. Um, I think he got banged up a little bit at one point, but then went back in. That was, that was a funny part about this game. I think every running back, as we talked on last week's podcast, after just the running back, running back room getting decimated by injuries, we're like, the only thing that can't happen this week are running back injuries. And I think at one point, Latrell was hurt. Lorenzo Bryant Jr. was hurt. And it was the Solomon Van Horse show. And then also Cole Potts got hurt. Um, I, Latrell's back because he came back in game. Lorenzo Bryant Jr. seems to be positive that he's on pace to play again on Saturday. Van Horse never got hurt. Thankfully, he's still on track to play. But Cole Potts, right guard, I believe Cole Potts is. I, I haven't heard anything about if he's going to be playing on Saturday or not. But a game where you went into it saying the only thing that can't happen, one, is a loss, duh, but that was never going to happen against the Camels, the mighty Camels of Campbell. Uh, it was You can't have injuries, and a lot of injuries happened. They piled up. It was kind of tough to see, but good to see Latrell come back from that injury, rack up 95 yards on 6.6 yards per carry. Yeah, they ran the ball well. You pretty much covered the injuries really well. I hadn't seen anything recent on Potts either, so not sure there. Um, Austin Douglas is getting closer to returning. So, like, the injury report from early this week was really positive, which is good. Um, yeah, and you've got a William & Mary team that that just lost but has played pretty well, so that could be a tough one or at least a semi-competitive game potentially. And then you've got Towson to to wrap up. Here's here's my thing with the William & Mary. We'll, go, we'll do a little preview on – Jamie at William and Mary. This hasn't been a competitive game since 2017, 2016. William and Mary has kind of been on the downslope. Um, yeah. Mike London's come in with Hollis Mathis. They've started to build something each year. They've gotten a little bit better. And then this year they kind of shocked the FCS world, taking down Villanova in a game where they kind of ran all over the Villanova defense. Um, Villanova, I think at one point was down 31 to three. And yeah. they were, Never in the game. William and Mary absolutely obliterated them. And the one thing that's given JMU problems in the past few years, mainly in the Kurt Signetti era, era, is a mobile quarterback. Last year, Hollis Mathis was hurt. So he really, we didn't see what he could do against his JMU defense. The last time JMU played Hollis Mathis was his freshman year in. That's not right. This is a long pause. I, I had a really good point going because I remember when I was sideline reporter a few years back in 2018, I think that was Hollis Mathis's freshman season. And he was the first true freshman to start William and Mary in a long time. But with that being said, they didn't really see him last year. Last year was the first time that Hollis Mathis had kind of figured out how to play college football. No offense to him, but figured things out. He was injured last year, blah, 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 blah. Now we're here. It's the Hollis Mathis show at William & Mary. Mike London, I think they have it figured out. I think this is going to be a better game 
than what we expect just because JMU kind of struggles against mobile quarterbacks. What are your thoughts? Mathis has barely played from what I'm looking at. If I'm yeah. okay, <laughs> if I'm, I'm going to scrub this, I'm going to scrub this. Let's just cut. No, I'm kidding. I has he really barely played? That's what it looks like from the um, who's their starter. The I think they've been rolling with a freshman, Darius Wilson. I don't know exactly when he's been in and out. It seems like it's been a lot of Darius Wilson. Um, I, I apologize to all of our podcast listeners for just going through that two-minute spiel about Hollis. Yeah, Brown. it's been a lot of Darius Wilson, but he hasn't really done a whole lot, to be honest with you. Um, it seems like they've found ways to run the ball without much of a passing game, if I'm interpreting this correctly, even though I'm losing where all my stats are. We're doing a good job today. <laughs> well, well, in our defense, our minds are on basketball right now fully. Um, we just can't wait to talk about what we saw last night, women's basketball. So they have, yeah. So Darius Wilson looks like he's played the most by far. He has five touchdown passes and seven interceptions. That's not so good. They're, they're passing attack. They have more interceptions as a team than they do touchdowns are completing 58% of their passes and averaging 137 passing yards per game. So the fact that they are six and three, in my opinion, is a minor miracle, um, but they're still <laughs> finding ways to do things. And a lot of that is they got a bunch of dudes who can run the ball. So they're running for over 200 yards a game. Um, you mentioned the dual threat. It might not be Hollis Mathis, but Darius Wilson is absolutely capable of running. He has 318 rushing yards and four touchdowns. They, five yards. A pop. No, so like they can, I just they can still run. I just want to jump in. They are the worst pass offense in the CAA. Is it close? No. Delaware is the next worst. Um, Delaware averages 167 yards per game. Women Mary averages 137, so 30 yards off the pace, so not close at all. Um, they're fine in completion percentage, uh, pass yards per completion. They're fine, and when I say fine, I mean they're kind of middle of the pack. They just don't attempt a lot of passes. I think they've attempted 179 in total on the season with eight interceptions, and eight interceptions is – fourth in the CAA, I believe. So. Yeah. So they're not, uh, I guess offensively, they're not the best team in the world. I think they've kind of been opportunistic defensively. Like I believe. Villanova had significant turnover issues in that game. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I think that was. Played a pretty well in what happened. Let me see if I can double check that real quick, but I'm pretty sure they, they struggled a bit with, yeah, they threw four interceptions. So, like, that's kind of the thing with William Mary. It's like they've been opportunistic defensively. They can run the ball. Uh, they've also had some games against, like, crappy teams. Like, they've beaten some Patriot. I think they might have two Patriot League wins. So, they're they're more competent. They're kind of like a, a more southern New Hampshire in a way, right? I was, like, like, I was just about to say that. <laughs> they find a way to avoid, I guess, mistakes as much as they can. They force some mistakes. They're opportunistic. Um, would be fun to watch them in the playoffs and sort of see them play better. Um, the point, I think your points about math is all translate, even though his shoulders, I guess, still bothering him, um, where there, there are options that quarterback can run. And I think that's something that'll be interesting to see how that works. The other thing though, that's, that's interesting is JMU, I guess you could argue the secondary is maybe the weakness of the defense right now. So a, a team that can't pass the ball maybe you can lock in a little more on a potential running quarterback, which maybe helps them in terms of stopping them. Yeah. I mean, they're not probably going to be able to William Mary won't be able to necessarily run the ball the traditional way of just lining it up, handing it off to the running back and letting him go between the tackles. 
JMU will eat them alive all day doing that. The only thing that worries me is if they have a solid mobile quarterback, can they kind of get out of the pocket and, and make some things happen. But if they can't pass the ball and they can kind of key in on that rush, it's, it's going to be a long day. So. And uh, they've got their running backs are good. Like they have guys who can, they got some talent there. So it's, it's a team like they're not a great team, but they, they definitely have some players. Yeah. So this is the 44th time Jamie will face women. Mary, they lead the all time series 26 to 17. Um, and interesting tidbit. This is the third time in a row. Jamie's going to be playing at women. Mary at Zabel stadium, I think is what it's called. So. Kind of a nice spot, to be honest with you. Sure. You want to go? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> Just kidding, because I will be at Old Dominion JMU Men's Hoop, which I'm I'm actually a little frustrated that those overlapping like exactly on time. That is a little annoying, but that's the perfect segue to move into some basketball talk. We men's basketball, it's 8:30. The game's probably still going on. It's an absolute blowout. Do you want me to give you the current score? Yeah, please give me the Well, actually, score. you can there's 8 minutes and 40 seconds left in the game. I want you to guess the score. 82-41. It is 100 to 34. You're lying. <laughs> I'm not lying. This is 102 to 34. They just scored again. My my apologies. Carlo for what it's worth is an NAIA school that's not very good. They're playing the Celtics. JMU has a 60-point lead on the Celtics. It's also worth noting that Carlo played last night against <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> worth noting this. But, like, Kurt Dudley was talking about it this uh, on pregame today, and he said uh, Carlo knew they were going to be down here for VMI, and they picked up the phone and called JMU and asked if they wanted to play, and Byington was like, okay, <laughs> sure. So, like – Carlo brought this upon themselves. It's uh, <laughs> it's something. Uh, we'll get into the men in a minute, um, but we went to the women's game, which was on Tuesday night in Harrisonburg. Both of us, you drove down, I drove up uh, to watch this one, UVA uh, versus JMU. Just an unbelievable game. It was our first time at a game, at least in the, I don't know, had you been in the building before? No, that was my first time stepping foot in the building. and uh... Me too. Wow. So uh, clearly we did not prepare all that much for a William Mary detailed football conversation, but I think we're both pretty stoked to talk basketball in this one, which is kind of the focus. So I want to start with you, but let's start with the venue itself. We did, we did a lap kind of inadvertently around the yeah, on arena. Did not mean um, to do that. <laughs> but take me through, I guess, initial impressions of just the actual facility. So I will say this, if you have general admission tickets, um, ask an usher because it's we're still confused i don't think we actually sat where general admission was supposed to go i'm still confused on that part of it um but overall feelings about the venue you walk in and it's not a step above convo like the atlantic union bank center is an entire flight of stairs better than the convocation center you walk in and if you've ever been to jpj in charlottesville it's not that big. It's not as huge as JPJ, but it, it has that kind of feel, that upper echelon, great basketball team. This is where a great basketball team plays. 
you you walk in i think we walked in through the plaza entrance next to the chicken place chicken place was pretty solid uh you, if you're there you might as well get the chicken but you walk in and you see the you see the uh the screen over the the, the half court screen just absolutely huge the music's bumping it's a great atmosphere and that was all pregame yeah i mean it was it was awesome. Like, and I think the mini JPJ is kind of like what it reminded me of. And I've gone to a lot of games at JPJ with what my job used to be. And it's kind of like a very similar feel in terms of how it's set up um, and sort of what it looks like. I think there are elements of it where it's better, which I guess we can get into as well. I kind of like smaller basketball venues more. Like that's just a personal preference. I don't know how you feel in like size of a college basketball arena. So I do like kind of smaller. I haven't been to a lot of college basketball arenas. I watch a lot on TV, but I haven't been to a lot in person. I will say this at the convo. I loved the fact that if you were in the first couple of rows, you could have a conversation with someone on the court. Like you were that close to, to everyone. Like you made an impact on the game. The convos never sold out. No one really ever made a true impact because there just wasn't enough people, but they kind of kept that feel. We were in probably, I think, the fourth row, and we could talk to the UVA bench if we wanted to. Like, you're right on top. And we'll get into kind of the <laughs> impact that had on the game in a little bit. But you're still – you kind of have that convo feel where you're right there with them. Yeah, that, I think that's really awesome. And the thing that, like, thinking of JPJ is they've got the student section behind the Virginia bench. And what I like here is the student section is not behind a bench. They've got it behind uh, the baseline, behind one basket. Um, And then you've got the pep band kind of next to the student section. And then on the other side, you've got general admission slash student section overflow, essentially. So what happened for the UVA Jamie women's game is you essentially had a student section on behind both baskets, which was incredible. And then also like, the pep band is next to the one student section on the other side, you've got where the JMU bench I imagine will permanently be located. So you've got the home team bench and them going crazy with one side, plus the pep band in that other student section. Like to me, that's a great setup. Yeah, that, that, that was a fantastic setup. And then moving into the game, the game itself was fantastic. JMU kind of beat down UVA 84 69 in a game that wasn't that close. UVA kind of, weird stuff happened in the fourth quarter where they kind of pulled it a little closer. But I I think we didn't really see it that much tonight with Carlo because it's a blowout game for the men's team, but it was a big game last night against an in-state rival in ACC school. Kiki Jefferson comes off the court and saying, we own this state, which is absolutely amazing. Um, But like that game meant something last night and the student section showed out, but that women's team knows how to feed into the crowd so uh, Kiki Jefferson is the master of nailing an and one layup and then flexing at the student section and getting them to just go into an absolute craze. Yeah, I think she should be if she isn't already like the face of JMU basketball, both programs. Like they had a video before the game. I don't know if you saw it, but she's like walking around campus singing about how it was like game day and everyone should go to her game. And then she's like <laughs> going in there and she's screaming almost the entire time. Oh, and she also dropped 31, a career high. And she, every time she went in the lane, it was like she probably could have pulled up for an open three and then just decided, no, I'm going to drive and, like, get whatever I want. I mean, she was dominating. And Virginia's not the best ACC team, I'll admit that. But, like, 
she was dominating power five competition. It was, I mean, it was awesome to see, like she's a star. Yeah. 10 of 23 from the floor, 10 of 11 from the free throw line, 11 rebounds. So just a, a clean 31 and 11 double, double, um, no assists, but no one had any assists last night, <laughs> which was just a weird overall game, but she absolutely dominated. And uh, Hazel started the game really well. Kiki kind of was slow. Kiki took over in the second half. Yeah. But Hazel was huge in the first quarter. And Alicia Goodman was in a little bit of foul trouble at points. She finished with five fouls. She was the only real post presence they could, they could have. And she had a couple good stuff getting uh, some people into foul trouble. I want to make a quick shout out to Tynes. Mm-hmm. Freshman Tynes started shaky started um, not really knowing what was happening in the game, clearly was not prepared. I wouldn't say not prepared, but was not expecting to go into that game. But Goodman got into foul trouble. I think Caradine got into foul trouble and was also a little bit injured. Um, Oderkirk picked up a couple. And, I mean, all, all, their big, all their big guys, all their big yeah. people down low, all of a sudden are in foul trouble. And he's putting in, I, I, don't, I think, Micaiah Tynes is her first name. And she kind of seems like the, the, the game's just going really fast. Things are happening. Kiki talks to her. Kiki Jefferson calms her down. And the next thing you know, now she wasn't fantastic, but she held her own against number 20 for UVA, who was a darn good post player. <laughs> Man, she's so good. Cam Taylor, I think, is, is her name. The Marquette transfer. She was like an all-Big East honorable mention. She got close to 30. I think she was just under 30 points. 27 she was unstoppable down low awesome but yeah I mean Tynes was awesome you mentioned it or in the first half she looked kind of shell-shocked they put her back in in the second half and I think both of us were like "Uh uh-oh and instead she like locked in and seemed way like more confident in just being in the game everything slowed down at one point she had a big time block shot she had an and one that coach O was jumping up and down about because I don't think he thought she was going to score I mean like she came in and I think the thing for me is like she's not going to be like a major star for the team this year. But when you see, like, she comes in in the first half against an ACC team, looks flustered, and then the second half is, like, battling, I think that's someone that you look at them as, like, a junior or senior, and, my God, there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. Um, speaking of Coach O, uh, Jacket came off before <laughs> a minute was off the first quarter clock. Um, Ty came off. I think that's the first time ever in Coach O's career that a tie came off and that was in the fourth quarter after some questionable calls rips the tie struggles to get it over his head the one student side goes crazy as he rips it off it was the i mean the major takeaway by far it's not even really like really good to have fans and students back yeah it was a lot of fun and we kind of teased this um and i think this warrants its own section entirely we were yes. talking about how you, you're kind of on top of the players talking. You, you can have a conversation with a player if they wanted to. If they turned around, you could have a full conversation with them. And there were a few, and by a few, I mean probably three UVA fans at this game. One yes. was, I believe, the father of Cam Taylor. Yeah. Taylor. Seen that um, way at least. He was a good – he was fun. He was fun. He very much loved his daughter. He would yell at every, every foul call, everything like that. There was another guy in a full suit. We don't know who he was the parent of, what his relation to the team was, but you actually saw this transpire. So I'll let you just hit with the play-by-play of this. And um, I'll let you decide if you want to drop the expletive or not. 
there are so many great moments from this game. Like just so many great moments. You got the tie coming off. UVA hits a half court buzzer beater. Like they can't make any threes and they nail a half court buzzer beater. At one point they were like one for 13. And the one hit was a buzzer beater. From half court. And I caught a t-shirt, a little JMU athletics t-shirt. That was pretty darn cool. I didn't even I didn't even stand up from my seat. I just sort of put my hands up, caught the T-shirt. That was pretty cool. It's like the game was filled with highs, but none of them. I'm still so sad you didn't see it. Will beat <laughs> Maddie Green, the the UVA fan you're talking about, behind the UVA bench. At one point in the fourth quarter, JMU is taking an inbounds pass from right in front of the UVA bench. And uh, the fan that you've mentioned says something to Maddie Green, who's taking the inbounds. (laughs) She turns around, looks him dead in the eye without any facial expression and just goes, fuck you. And like, I I couldn't hear it because we're, you know, four plus rows back or whatever. But like, it was a very clear (laughs) mouthing of F you. And then he gets upset. The whole UVA bench asked for a technical. They end up calling a technical on Maddie Green, who then has to go over. Just BS. Let's just. If you didn't catch it in the act, how are you letting the bench tell you to call a tech? If it if it happened in front of the other bench, which wouldn't make any sense with like the UVA fans sitting there, but if it happened in front of the other bench, it wouldn't have been because I don't think the ref saw it actually happen. I think she kind of was like told a little bit. Um, so yeah, that was that was interesting there. And then Maddie Green has to go over and explain <laughs> to Sean O'Regan what just happened. I, I would love to hear what she said to him as to if she actually admitted to what she said. And I know she, I'm sure she mentioned that he was heckling because then Coach O went to a ref and tried to get the guy kicked out. Uh, I still have no idea what the fan said. He was not kicked out. Um, but it was a hilarious moment that you mentioned it too. It like really reignited the crowd. Yeah, it was at a point in the fourth quarter where – well, UVA actually outscored JMU 19-13 to 13 in the fourth quarter. It was all for naught because they still ended up getting blown out um, because of a fantastic third quarter by JMU, 27-12. to 12. Um, And at one point, they were out-rebounding them in the third quarter, like 15-3. to three. But UVA was kind of chipping away at the lead at this point. JMU was – it couldn't – their offense just was stagnant. Nothing was happening. They were playing iso ball. They were playing hero ball. And the fans were kind of out of it because it's a big lead and they don't really realize that it's chipping away. And all of a sudden, they just absolutely go crazy. And there was another point where Tina Thompson is arguing a call and the entire, like not even just the student section, this is what the greatest thing about last night was with the student section. It got the fans, like the, no offense to the elder, the older fans who were at the games, but they're normally a little quieter, a little bit more subdued. But Tina Thompson's arguing a foul call and the student section start yelling, give her a tech. And so does the entire crowd. Like all the crowd starts giving the T sign. And like, it was, it was a hostile environment. It was so much fun. Like it was just so much fun to go in there and yell a lot, man. It was, it was awesome. But I think there's like a, I guess the few takeaways It was great to have students back for me. That really stood out. A lot of really fun moments that you would not have gotten, I don't think, watching the game at home. Without um, like Kiki Jefferson hitting the and one in the first quarter and just absolutely the student section just abrupting for her and her feeding off of – yeah, you wouldn't have gotten that on flow. Yeah, it was just – it was really cool to be there. I would encourage everyone 
Um, you know, if you're willing health wise, everything kind of still a pandemic and you got masking and all that good stuff. But um, yeah, if you're able to go or, or works out in your schedule, I would absolutely recommend checking it out and, and not just going for a men's game. I think the women's team is really, really good. And one of the cool things about the women's team is in years past, they've been kind of this defensive juggernaut this year. That's kind of where they need to get better. They got to get better defensively. They had three assists and they scored 84 points. Like they are filthy offensively. Are they filthy offensively or is UVA's defense so bad they were able to just play hero ball and it worked out for them and Kiki Jefferson put up 31? There's a little of both, but they're really, really good offensively and they obviously need to get better. They had three assists. All three were Matty Green. Um, They had, what was it, 44 points at halftime without an assist? Like it was crazy, the lack of ball movement. Um, but they were still scoring a lot. They're also five from 14 from deep, which isn't great. And that's normally, I feel like where a lot of assists come from, like kind of the way they play where Maddie might kick it to Kiki at the top and she'll take a couple dribbles and then drive where if they're hitting more threes, I think they'd maybe rack up the assist a bit more. A few times they were just playing hero ball big time. Another takeaway is that they, man, I, I don't, I, here I am saying that your takeaway. And then I, I give that, the ant the, the negative part of it. And I have another negative takeaway here, but I'll be Mr. Negative Nelly. They don't really have a post presence. And with Maryland coming up next, they might get run out of their own gym. I don't have any expect- expectations for the Sunday Maryland game. Yeah. Like if they, if, I think it's going to be fun if they can score. <laughs> if they hang in, it'd be awesome. But like, realistically they could lose that game and still win a lot of games and maybe put themselves in at large consideration. So uh, the UVA game was huge. I think that was kind of a, maybe not a must win, but like you get that one, you're off to a pretty good start. If you can hang with Maryland at all, great. If not, it's a good learning experience. Then go and take care of some business against some of these other teams. Uh, They've got North Carolina and Chapel Hill in December. North Carolina is like a middle of the pack ACC team. That one's more gettable, but yeah, I think, Post presence is probably one. I thought Goodman showed some stuff. Claire Neff did well. Um, so there's there's potential there, but it's it's not the same level of depth. Like they have a ton of guard depth. It's also worth mentioning Goodman got into foul trouble very, very quickly mm-hmm. and could never really find her rhythm. So maybe things are a little bit different if she kind of has her rhythm and she kind of doesn't get into foul trouble as quickly as she did last night. Um I had another point I was going to make. I lost it. He lost his point. Oh, oh, this is what it was. They're really good where they're going to run through the CAA. Oh, yeah, they should beat. I think Delaware and Drexel are two good teams, and, like, those will probably be somewhat competitive. There's going to be multiple games that they are winning against teams by, like, 40-plus points, I think. And – and knowing Coach O and him throwing off his tie, I don't think there'll ever be a point where they call off the dogs. No, I think they're going to push pretty hard to, to blow people out, especially trying to get in that large. So really excited to watch that. I'm trying to think of other takeaways. A really big picture one is I think they're still building the basketball culture of JMU fans. Um, actually, I should say rebuilding because it used to be really great in terms of student section fan attendance. They've had like two to three decades of horrible men's teams. And I think that has kind of affected, not necessarily affected the women's team, but affected just overall JMU basketball fandom. Um, Like the beginning of the game, I think like the student section, remember they weren't. What? Jamie's about to go up a hundred. 
What's the score? 135 to 40. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Mark Bynes and you... <laughs> You wacko. I guess we're playing, we're probably playing all walk ons, essentially. I've never <laughs> seen a score like that before. Oh my God. I'm glad you stopped me. They haven't hit a field goal in nine minutes, Carlo. <laughs> why would you ever want to, no offense, but like, why would you ever want to play your team, an NAIA team, on a back to back? Like, what are they gaining out of this other than like fatigue and embarrassment? JMU has taken 86 shots. Carlo is 16 of 63 from the floor. Jamie's only hitting 50% of its free throw. 28 turnovers for, for nine. <laughs> nine turnovers for JMU. Oh Hodge Jamie has, the team in points. JMU has 39 assists. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Okay, I don't think they'll end up winning by 100, but good Lord. That's insane. Right, but anyway, <laughs> I was saying, I was talking about, no, this actually leads in kind of hilariously because I was talking about how the men's team not being good has hurt the culture and the men's team's about to win by 100 points. Um, but no, I think the, the point is that like at the beginning of the game, like the cheerleaders had to hold up signs that told the student section to stand like at the beginning of the game. And well, we also were people. sitting there. We We were like, didn't you do in convo? Didn't you stand up until the first until he, was made? And then we sat down because we were like, well, we don't want to be those guys. And then we up. started to see, and then we stood up. We're like, all right, we'll block some people, but then they'll also stand up. So it was, uh, I think like building that culture up yeah. in the arena is going to take some time, but the student section can be really impactful. It's a great facility. I think if they find ways to win, it does have a chance to be a really cool special venue with some, some big time crowds and a really loyal fan base. And it also is worth mentioning Coach O after the game went over to the press <laughs> row, grabbed the mic, and thanked not only the students but everyone for showing up because that was the first game at the Atlantic Union Bank Center where fans were allowed, like a real game that wasn't an exhibition, that wasn't anything like that, where fans were allowed. Yeah, I mean, it was it was really cool just to have fans and the students there. And, uh, Jamie, did a very smart promotion where if you're a student and you went and you scanned in the fourth quarter – um, you get an automatic entrance to the UVA men's game against JMU. So I think a little incentive there was smart. Um, but we'll be back for that men's game. I'll be there Saturday for ODU JMU. Great venue. I was just stoked to watch them. I think the women's team is really good. And gosh, it was so fun to watch the game with fans again, man. Yeah. And with that being said, JMU has ODU next. Do you have any expectations for that game at all? We really can take absolutely nothing from this Carlo game. So I can. I, I take a lot from this Carlo game. Uh, Carlo's <laughs> Jack, we all know that Carlo is a team that'll just scrap, right? They're a team that's going to scrap for 40 minutes and they're more dangerous, arguably after losing by 70 to VMI the day before they're fired up. They're pissed off. Game ended. Jamie won by 95 points. I'll tweet about it. I'm going to tweet from DRF sports about it. For anyone listening, follow at DRF underscore sports. Uh, it's my new job, and I'm trying to grow a following over there. A lot of unique data, a lot of great betting angles. If you're a sports better, DRF sports is the place to be. <laughs> I'll just I'll just plug myself as Bennett is typing away, trying to get it. I'm, gr- I'm about to start crying. <laughs> That's insane. 135 to 40. Yeah, so anything about ODU that you're expecting? Yeah, okay. 
<laughs> so, uh, yeah, so a good weekend for, for home games, right? You've got the men playing ODU Saturday. The women will host Maryland on Sunday. Um, I don't know a ton about ODU. I know that they played another – they played like Virginia Wesleyan tonight, yeah. and they ended up winning only 80 to 60. Um, wow. So if we're, going, if we're going off this – I think we'll probably win by like what 40, 45. No, I think that uh Jamie is more than capable of winning that game. It's got a chance to be competitive though. So it's it's one that like I don't really know because I'm not sure what to expect on both sides. Um still very concerned, even after watching Jamie win by 95. Still <laughs> so stupid. Still <laughs> very concerned about um the post. Like there were a couple times there where Amadi was like alone scrapping for rebounds like uh carlo had some of this because they missed a billion shots but carlo had 12 offensive rebounds carlo so i think that's something that to keep an eye on uh, offensive rebounding for sure i know amadi did have a ton of rebounds in the game 15 um but i think maybe some guys helping him out and, and see what alonzo sule can bring um worth noting that to call molson seton hall transfer and Tyree Ihanacho, a North Dakota transfer, did not play. I don't know the reasoning there. I, I hope someone will ask post games. And, you know, since there's not a whole lot of game questions, I think <laughs> you would need to ask. So, yeah. uh, what are your expectations for this team? You think they can, uh, they got some interesting games. They got ODU, Mason, UVA all at home. Yeah, looking right away at ODU game, at the ODU game, ODU was picked fifth in the preseason CUSA poll. They have a player named to the all-conference preseason team, but we know that's kind of a not necessarily the best barometer for how good a team can or will or will not be. I think it'll be a good test. I expect JMU to win. Um, if if JMU kind of wants to be the cream of the crop in the CAA and, and finish out that way, I think it's a game you, you really want to win. Um, and I will have more answers about what this team is after that game. Are they going to be, play, be playing more small ball? Are they going to be more up-tempo? A lot of questions will be answered against ODU that, frankly, those questions didn't even to be asked against Carlo. You're just a better team. You could have run out all freshmen and you could have beaten Carlo. Um, and then, yeah, Eastern Kentucky at George – I mean, at Eastern Kentucky, then George Mason comes to town. EMU, you know, those crosstown rivals over there, the Royals at Eastern Mennonite, that's always one you got to get up for. Um, you don't want to come out flat in that one at all. EMU is going to punch you in the mouth. You know the way EMU plays. Um, very well accounted. Everyone, everyone knows about EMU across the country. Then you got UVA after that one. Radford. It's honestly a great non-conference schedule for home games. I'm really excited for the UVA game. I think UVA game is a winnable game. UVA just lost to Navy last night at JPJ. If they can keep it close with UVA, I was telling you this last night. I think I told you probably 15 times. Just imagine this place on December 7th and JMU has it within two or JMU's up with two minutes left. Will be insane. Just an unreal atmosphere. Can't wait for that game. Uh, Tony Bennett's done unbelievable stuff with Virginia's program. Um, they're pretty clearly done, in my opinion. They're washed, I think. Uh <laughs> Hell of a run, <laughs> but you lost the Navy. You can't score. They have uh, interesting – it'll be a really interesting comparison because UVA has got some physical tall guys who are really good players, and they have two starting guards who are afraid of shooting three-point jump shots, Like to be completely honest with you. Whereas JMU doesn't have that size but has seven guys 
who love to pull it from three. Like, <laughs> it's going to be a fascinating style. It's be battle. hilarious because JMU is going to take 10 seconds off the shot clock every single time. <laughs> And then UVA is going to be taking 33 seconds off the shot clock. Somehow, some way, they're going to find an extra three seconds in their back left pocket. And it's just such opposing styles. Mark Byington wants to run up and down the court, play with tempo, get his guys into space, run. And then Tony Bennett is, let's just play some defense. And uh, if we get four shots off in a game, so be it. Yeah, I mean – I don't know. I'm excited for all these games because I don't think there's any game on the schedule, including UVA, that JMU can't win. I'm not saying they're going to, but uh, I'm pumped. Anytime, I mean, you start off the year with a 95-point win. This is what I wanted Signetti to do. Like, I know it's an NAIA school, but that's insane. It's exactly what I wanted Signetti to do, and he wouldn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Arlo didn't hit a shot for the final 10 minutes of game. Yeah, I don't understand. For a quarter of the entire game. I don't know how this benefited them, but I will. I do want to. We should call out some actual players because I'm really excited. Charles Falden, who I guess is going by Chuck Falden. They call him Chuck Falden on the broadcast. Shane Metlin is treating, tweeting Chuck Falden. So I guess it's officially Chuck and not Charles. Okay. <laughs> Chuck Falden. I dig it. If he's, if he's chucking up threes and nailing them, he can beat Chuck all he wants. <laughs> He scores 17. He was 5 of 9 for 3. Jalen Hodge is such a good shooter. I said he would be the sixth man of the year, I believe, on the team when we talked about this. He had 21 to lead all scores. Feels like I got that correct. Pretty yeah, cool. after one but, game, I think you're right. Pretty cool by me. Three points. Yeah, he was he was 1 of 7 from the floor, so he didn't have his best shooting night. But six assists to one turnover, I'll take that every single day of the week. You had one, two, three, four, five guys with at least five assists, which is insane. Um yeah, it was just a really good showing overall. They had th- <laughs> they had 39 assists to 10 turnovers. Uh, they shot 64% from the field. Alonzo Sule was 7 of 8 from the floor, had 8 rebounds too. Amadi, 15 points, 15 rebounds. I, I really like this team. Still worried about the post a little bit, but I really like this team. This is I think this is the best team that Jamie has had since I've followed the team since 2014. They had some decent teams under Brady. Yeah, coming into the season, I was kind of worried about the departure of Matt Lewis and how this team would kind of look and how this team would feel. A 95-point win makes you feel really good about it. But overall, I think they filled filled the Matt Lewis departure very well, and I think they have a good, solid core of guys, and they brought in some really good transfers. I think this team's going to be a lot of fun to watch. That alley-oop early on to Amadi, I hope we're seeing that a lot more. It's also really worth noting, like this is a really important part of it, if you look at their plus minuses, plus minuses should not look like that. Amadi's plus minus was 58. <laughs> the, the part of this that's hilarious is that Amadi is 58 and he played 20 minutes. So there was essentially like, uh, like two shifts. So you have two groups of players who both outscored were on the floor when Jamie outscored uh, – <laughs> Who was who? Did they play Carlo by what? 50, Already out of your mind. <laughs> Fifty points in each of their like shift, essentially. I mean, to win a game by ninety-five, I don't care who you're playing, man. That's that's hilarious. So, really interested to see how they how they play against an actual team on Saturday. But I do, I do like this team, and I, I will say, from watching the first half, 
it was barely a basketball game. It was essentially five really athletic players just going up and down and getting wide open shots and having good ball movement against five guys who played a day before and are just not a division one team. I also think this was Carlos third or fourth game this season which is just hilarious because they have at least had had time to figure out how to play the sport. And JMU, this was the first time with this group of guys were on the court and they put up 135. So kind of insane. Anything else you want to add before we get up on out of here? I think we're going to win the national championship in men's basketball and women's basketball. I think also that I think I, this might shock some people. I think JMU will get an offer to the uh, playoffs. For, uh, for the FBS, yeah. For football, you think they're going to be in the Final Four? Yep. I think so, too. they got a better resume than Cincinnati. Cincinnati's trash. <laughs> so, Honestly, they have, a better, they, have, they have a better resume than Alabama. That's so, tr- that's so true. <laughs> that's, uh, is there anything else that we needed to – I'm trying to think. Volleyball is not allowed to play in the conference tournament, but they're like kind of fringe at large maybe with some of the RPI stuff. Honestly, um, I just got to say – what an absolute joke the CAA is. What an absolute disgrace to college athletics. And what an absolute joke each one of those presidents should feel ashamed and just not be able to sleep for what they did to these student athletes. And I understand, I think Shane Metlin's column put it best. The finger pointing is last week. What they did to these student athletes here this week and ghosting them and stalling and everything is absolutely terrible and adults who are supposed to protect and ensure that the student athlete experience is upheld to do that is just despicable i hope we annihilate conference teams in every sport like starting with football against william mary i hope we just trash people i hope we're at the top of the regular season standings in everything i agree Well, for Bennett Conlon, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful rest of your day. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.